many of you this story, but um, I wasn't raised in church. Church culture is very different to me. Those of you who were raised in church, you know how freaky you can be. Um, there's things that you know that everybody else knows. Um, and the first time that I took the Lord's Supper, um, I, I wasn't dumb enough to think that snacks were being passed around, but I honestly didn't know what was happening. Uh, and if you think about it, it we... It, there's, there's great beauty in it in the sense that those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ and have participated in this uh, now, you know that even in our disorganized group, there's ritual that's a part of that. And that ritual is very uniting. But at the same time, a part of that uniting is it can make it difficult for other people. In my case, I, the first communion I ever took place at was at a Baptist church, uh, which for some of y'all is true because we are a Baptist church. Um, and what they did was they passed around these tiny, little, flavorless, almost styrofoam-like crackers that kind of looked like reduced um, Cheez-Its. And then they, somebody came up with this great idea of, let's make this big golden plate that holds lots of little small cups of Welch's grape juice. And they passed that around. And the crackers came around first, and I just saw a bunch of them, and I just thought, you're supposed to grab as many as you can. And so I did. I grabbed a lot. And I popped one in my mouth, and my friend who was beside me, who was raised in church, was like, oh, no, you're not supposed to do that until the pastor tells you to. And I didn't think, oh, it's wrong to lie in church. So I said, I didn't. And he's like, no, I saw you put it in your mouth. And I'm like, well, then what's this? And I held up another one. See, see we do these things, and they unite us. Um, which is great, but it's scary when, when we don't explain it and we, we make it to where it keeps, well, where it creates outsiders. Church should never be a place where there's an us and them mentality. Uh, church should be a place where it is a, hey, everyone here is loved by God and some of us know it and some of us don't right now, but there's not an us and them. So what we try to do is we do it a little differently from some of the churches that, that you may have been at. Uh, maybe you've never been to church. Maybe this is your first time at church. And that wouldn't surprise me because that's pretty common here. Um, I want to make sure you know what's going on. Scripture says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night that he was about to be taken captive and put on trial illegally and then proposed the next day to be crucified and, and to then be crucified, on that night that, that Judas Iscariot was going to betray him, he took, play, took uh, part in what was a Jewish custom, and that is the Sadar meal, the, the Jewish Passover meal, the Paschal meal. You may hear all three of those terms used. The Passover meal. And after they did the Passover meal, Jesus took elements that would have been there already. I think sometimes we make God so spiritual that we, we keep Him from being involved in everyday life. Jesus used things that would have been on the table already because any good Jewish Sadar Passover meal would have had wine and it would have had uh, matzah bread. Looks like a, a cracker, basically. He took these things that would have been on the table already, just ordinary things, and he very quickly made them holy. And the reason he made them holy, or the way he made them holy, was not by, by changing anything in them. When God takes something ordinary and He uses it, it becomes holy. Scripture, there's two meanings for holy. One is without sin or blemish. The other is 
uh, it means more like set apart. The best example I can give you is uh, the china in my, my house that my wife received from her mother. It was her mother's china, and then we finished the set. Um, we don't put special meals on that china. That meal becomes special because it is on that china. Jesus took this bread and this juice and He very quickly made it holy because it became a part of Him using it. He offered it to everybody there, including the one who would betray Him. Now when He said it, He said, this you do in remembrance of my death until... Until is a key word. Until I drink it anew in the kingdom. See, when we do the Lord's Supper, we are remembering His death. I will pray in just a little bit, and it will be this bread is a reminder of His body, and this juice is a reminder of His blood. But we don't just remember His death. Good Friday is good because He, he, he sacrificed Himself for our sins. But Easter is what makes it Good Friday. Jesus didn't just die. He defeated death. And he said, until I drink it with you anew in the kingdom. When we, when we eat and drink this, not only do we say together we are a family, we are a part of God's family, but we also say one day we will drink this with Jesus Christ. If you want a fun thing, read the last couple of chapters of the book of the Revelation and you'll see heaven described in three fashions. We don't know a lot about heaven. We don't have a lot of descriptions about it. But here it describes heaven in in three fashions. One is as a garden. The other I'll mention in just a second, but I'm going to skip it to the last one. The last one is as a city that is perfect. Perfect cube. The one in the middle is a wedding feast. I don't think that is just there just randomly. I don't think God does anything randomly. Instead, I think it is part of a reference to this. Because a wedding feast, there would be the fruit of the wine and there would be a toast. I am a firm believer that our time with God will begin with Jesus Christ raising a cup up and saying, it is about time I am ready to drink this thing. When we take the Lord's Supper, when we take communion, yes, we take it as a community. Communion. We take it not just as people who He has sacrificed Himself for, who He raised and defeated death for, but also as people who one day will be in the very presence of God. Paul says in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we should never therefore take this in an unholy manner, in an unright manner. But instead we should search ourselves and, and know if there's any sin in us. Because we have a gracious God who loves to forgive. He loves to forgive. So what we typically do beforehand is we spend a little bit of time in silence. Asking God, like, the, like David the psalmist, to search us and know us. And find out if there is any wicked way in us. Not for condemnation, but for forgiveness. To say, God, search me and know me. Because then He will just forgive us. It's what He loves to do. So would you join me in silence and then I'll end this with prayer.
Father, Son, and Spirit, search us and know us. Whatever sin, whatever rebellion, whatever wickedness there is in us, spotlight us so we see it. And give us the courage and the strength to give it to you. Knowing that you gladly forgive. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Now, the way we do this, and I'll, I'll read what Jesus said on that night in just a second. But the way we do this is um, that we, we try to focus on the Trinity. Uh, and we focus on the Incarnation. We believe that God works through His people. And we believe that we best bear His image when we love one another. John 3, 30, excuse me, 13.35 says that people will know that we are His disciples when or by our love for one another. So instead of me feeding you the Lord's Supper, what we do is we feed each other the Lord's Supper. Uh, Adam Holty has made the bread for us. And uh, I'll break it here in just a second. And uh, what will happen is I will ask that you come up here whenever you're ready. And if you're not ready, don't worry. Nobody's going uh, to go, oh, my gosh, so-and-so didn't come up. Come up when you're ready. The person in front of you will feed you uh, the Lord's Supper. And the way they'll do, do that is because there's always a chance of somebody being sick, they'll take a piece of bread and give it to you. And what I ask that you do is just simply dip it in the Welch's and then take it together. And when they give you that piece of bread, what I ask that they say is, the body of Christ broken for you. And then you will stay there and you will feed the person behind you. And when you give them the bread, just simply say, the body of Christ broken for you. And if you forget that, it's okay. Just say, Jesus loves you. <laughs> it all works, okay? Okay. This is what Paul tells us that he received from the Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's remember him. By this we remember the Lord's body. It was broken for you. By this, we remember the Lord's blood was spilled for you. Whenever you're ready, come and eat.
Blessings flow, praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, O heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So guys and girls, ladies and gents, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. Um, And guess the way we typically do things is we pick one book of the Bible and go through it for a very long time. And uh, tonight we're going to diverge off that. Uh, We're going to read another one of the resurrection accounts. Uh, Many of us in the room during the season of Lent were reading through the Gospel of Matthew. Um... Within the next year, all of us in the room uh, who are threads hopefully will have read through the Gospel of Mark very systematically. So I thought it would only be right to read from the Gospel according to Luke to hear uh, his account of the resurrection. Starting in chapter 24, verse 1. Uh, The scripture will appear behind me, but it's also... Uh, on the paper, and if you're one of those spiffy people with the new fangled technology, there's actually a link to all the scripture that's on the bulletin. This is what the word of the Lord says. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man. Be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered His words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe their words because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. I'm going to show you a series of photos, and I, I, my goal is for you to remember. To remember these photos, to hopefully help you to remember what Jesus did. And they're not going to seem like they connect. So, let's start. I have a clicker here somewhere. Here we go. This is the first photo I want you to remember. And this one. And this one. What is Wiley's, Wiley Coyote's purpose in, in life? Is it catching the roadrunner? Killing the roadrunner. Because let's face it, if he's trying to catch the roadrunner, throwing an anvil on his head is not a good way to catch the roadrunner. Facts and kids, there are a lot of you here. I would say if you ever throw an anvil on one of your siblings, your parents are not going to be very happy. And your sibling is not going to be moving. (laughs) Did you say why? I love the fact that it was the ginger that said why. (laughs) Every myth about the gingers has just been brought up. Wiley Coyote just wants to kill the roadrunner. His purpose is to kill. His purpose is to destroy. Now, he may really stink at that. But it's still his purpose. Jesus' job, what he came to earth to do, is to defeat that. See, we tend to think quite often that the resurrection was a solitary event. It is an event. But the resurrection is just not something that just took place at one time. All right, now this is chancy because I can't remember if I have four pictures of Wiley Coyote or just three. So we're hoping for three. I have four. Instead, Jesus says this about himself. In regards to Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus, Jesus says this. I am what? Not I will be. I am the resurrection and the life. It is a part of his very character. It is a part of his very nature. He is the resurrection. And if you think of the stories of Christ in the New Testament, over and over again, when Jesus enters the room, death flees. 
He raised several people from the dead, but he destroyed death all throughout the Gospels and brought life. Let's face it, most of us in the room, except for Charlie and and Amon, no, Imran, excuse me, I'm saying Amon, Imran, know that death means more than just the cessation of breathing. Pete, you're throwing me off. Are you raising your finger? Okay. Sorry, you're scratching like that. I'm like, oh, Pete needs to add something. (laughs) From now on, scratch like this, okay? (laughs) It's a lot better. Whoops. Some of us know you can experience death while everything in your body is still working. You know what it's like to enter a room and just know there is death here and there is evil here and it just hurts. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He didn't just come so that one day when we die, we will go to heaven and be with Him. He came that we might have life now. It's kind of like the previews at a movie, what we're going through right now. The trailers. Everybody knows that the trailer is part of the movie experience. It's not the full thing, but don't you hate it when somebody talks during the trailers? Because the movie rules are in force. He brought resurrection and life now. And when we come to know and believe in Him as our Lord and Savior, we begin to experience Him defeating death now. And we begin to experience life. And one day when we are with Him, that's just the icing on the cake. We treat it like He was just raised from the dead and the resurrection is a one-time event. And then maybe it will happen later on. But some of us in the room have seen Him defeat death with life all around us. We have seen Him defeat death with His life in our lives. We have seen Him defeat death with His life in our friends' lives. We have seen Him bring the dead back. Because some of us in the room have been the dead. See, Wiley Coyote's purpose... Is to destroy the roadrunner. Jesus' purpose, his very character, his very nature, is resurrection. He defeats death with life. Here's the other photo I want you to remember that one. <laughs> Not life. I forgot my photo. See, if you read the Old Testament, one of the things you're going to find out is that the Hebrews hated the oceans. They hated them. I don't know who... I was talking with somebody this week. Ladies, it may have been you. I don't remember um, because I talked with several people this week. But uh, I remember mentioning that if you look back when, when David... And Solomon started the navies. He had to get people from, uh, from Lebanon because Hebrews wouldn't do it. Who was that with? Okay, either I'm making this up or nobody listens to my conversations. Uh, I, I, thank you. <laughs> Guys, the Hebrews hated the oceans. And it wasn't because they were scared of sharks. It wasn't because of this. I love the big head photos. I really do. It was because of this. Our water separates us. Oceans separate us. If you think about the story of Exodus, 
What did they need God to part in order to make it to safety? One of the descriptions of heaven is this. This is from the 21st chapter of the book of the Revelation. The very first verse says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I love these little random facts because God doesn't throw them in there just because he's like, oh, I'm just thinking about this right now. You know, there was a new heaven and there was a new earth. And by the way, there were no pintos there. He throws these things in very, very specifically. There was a new heaven and a new earth. All, uh, uh, what? The first earth and the first, he- or first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the only reference he makes in that very first verse to anything about the new heaven and the new earth is there is no sea. If you think about most of the death we see in this world, it has to do with separation. See, we were meant to be connected. We were meant to, to be one. That's why it feels so good when we sing here and you can just tell everybody's into it. Didn't you love when we were singing the doxology and and you could just suddenly go, oh my gosh, everybody's one. We love it because it's who we were meant to be because we were made in the image of a God who is three and one at the exact same time. So in love with one another that there's no separation whatsoever. And we know that in our lives it's wrong when we don't experience that love because we were meant to be loved by a God who designed us and created us and yet our rebellion separates us from Him. And it hurts. So Jesus comes to earth and lives 33 years and sacrifices Himself on the cross so that we might be reunited with God because we know All of life comes down to being connected. Think about the moments where you're like, ah, I'm truly alive. It usually involves being connected to people around you or being connected to creation or being connected to yourself where you're like, oh, wow, I feel myself now. And think of the times where you feel like, oh, blah, I'm dead. And it almost always comes down to you are not connected to those around you. You are not connected to what He created. We don't really even know ourselves very well. Hebrews hated the sea. And God describes to the children of Israel what heaven will be like. And He says, there will no longer be anything that separates us from one another. Because God loves to defeat death with His life. He loves to defeat our loneliness with His love. He loves to defeat our separateness with His connectivity. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. He didn't just do it on one Sunday. He does it all the stinking time. I don't know about for you, but that's really good news for me. Because I want this. I want to know that I'm connected with, with, with God. I want to know that I am connected with those who love God. I want to be one with a group of people who love Him and with Him. Because I'm tired of being alone. 
some of us in the room were, were at the Encore room in the University Center Thursday night for a ten, what we call a tenebrae service. Uh, and it reflects on Jesus dying. It's actually why the candle's behind me. It's the only time you'll ever see a candle uh, in the gym because technically, according to fire code, we're not supposed to have a lit candle. And for some reason, I think it's okay to break it on Easter Sunday. I, I, I know that doesn't make sense, and I probably should repent of that. But every, every Easter is the only time I light a candle in here. Um, because on Thursday night, we read about his crucifixion and how the world went into darkness when he died. And so we cover the candle. But Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, candles uncovered. Because Jesus Christ defeated death. He defeated evil. He defeated separation. He defeated the wages of our sin, which is separation from God and from each other. He defeated all that because He is the resurrection and the life. So here's my hope for you. That Jesus defeats death with life in your life. Some of us in the room do not know Jesus Christ as the one who brings us life. We do not know him as what we would call our Lord and Savior. And my goal for you is that you would know the God who loves you more than anyone else. You would know the one who is passionately in love with you. Some of us know Him as our resurrection and as our life, and we just need to be told to go. We need to remember that He has given us this job of reconciling the earth and those around us. This is a verse of Scripture that talks about Jesus giving us the ministry of reconciliation. It only makes sense that the resurrection and life would give those in His name the job of bringing things back together. So if you know Him as your Lord and Savior, you've got a job. When you walk into a room, dead things should be defeated by the life that is in you. And that doesn't mean you need to go out and take another job and and, and do all these other things. Some of us in the room are already doing so much that we think we can't do any more at all. But if God is defeating death with His life through your life, you're doing His work. Quite often we come to church on Easter Sunday to get our fill. But the truth is, is that what we should do is get the resurrection and the life and we should live it out. Real faith is not here. <laughs> this is the easy stuff. Real faith is out there. Because Jesus said to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. But what I love is in that passage, that one verse, excuse me, that two verses, He ends it with, do you believe? It's actually on the front of your your bulletins. Do you believe? Is it not on the front of your bulletins? I thought I put it there. (laughs) It should be on the front of your bulletins. My secretary messed it up. I don't have a secretary. (laughs) Okay, what what did I put down? My mind among the dead. Do you believe? There we go. So, guys, if you do not know Jesus, my invitation is simply this, to know the resurrection and the life. 
there are plenty of people in this room that can describe to you where he has defeated death in their lives. Because that's what he does. It's his character. It's what he loves to do. And if you do know Jesus Christ as the resurrection and the life, if you do know him as your Lord and as your Savior, then go defeat some death. Even if it's only in your life. Go defeat some death, some separation with his love and his connectivity. His passion for bringing people together and bringing people to Him. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when you walk into a room and there's evil there, it should begin to shake. Not because you're powerful, but because the God who takes very ordinary things and makes them holy is taking you and making you holy. So let's pray and let's sing to that that one who defeats death with life. Because I, for one, believe. And if you're going through death right now and you need somebody to pray with, there'll be some of us in the back who would love to pray with you. Because I believe there is absolutely no circumstance, no evil, no hurt that Jesus Christ can't defeat. Doesn't mean it will be easy. Doesn't mean it will be instantaneous. Instantaneous. You know what I mean. Just means it's true. Pray with me, please. Jesus Christ, I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. I believe that because you have been that in my life. And I ask that you, you be that in my life now in such a way that people around me see dead things defeated and renewed by your life. I pray this in your name, Jesus Christ, because you are the one who was crucified. I pray this in the name of the Spirit because the Spirit was the one who gave the power to resurrect. I pray this in the name of the Father because the Father was the one who had the plan all along that no one seemed to understand. But together you defeated death with life. Amen. Let's sing, guys.